I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. Open your Bibles, please, to, to Joshua. Joshua 14. Here's the title, How to Thrive at 85. How to Thrive at 85. Raise your hands, if you can raise them, if you are, if you are 85 or above, raise your hands. Yes, I see the great senior saints here, at least 85 years old. If you're over 80, raise your hands. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's even more. Okay. All right, we'll go further than that. How to Thrive at 85. This is the story of a man who was just getting started at the age of 85. So I was thinking about, I was thinking about all the, the, you know, the, the, the jokes, the stories you tell about people who are old, older. I'm qualified now. I was a kid when I started coming here. I was 40 years old the first time I spoke here, but now, now I am one. I am 66 on Medicare and Social Security. So, 51, I, I saw this on the internet, 51 signs you're getting older, and it says large print edition, which just made me, made me happy. Oh, everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt, doesn't work. <laughs> the gleam in your eyes is from the sun hitting your bifocals. You sit in a rocking chair, and you can't get it going. Your knees buckle, and your belt won't. And you've heard this, when you sink your teeth into a stake, and they stay there. You're asleep, but others worry you're dead. <laughs> you brag about your lawnmower. You enjoy hearing about other people's operations. People call at 9 p.m. and say, did I wake you? Your ears are hairier than your head. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Someone said that old age is when you've got it all together, you just can't remember where you put it. Let's talk about Caleb. He's a man who had it all together and he knew where he put it. Now, as we begin in this study, just some comments. In the Bible, some men stand out above other men. Moses outshines Joshua. Yet Joshua, not Moses, conquers the promised land. Joshua outshines Caleb. Yet Caleb, not Joshua, defeats the giants. When Dr. Criswell, W.A. Criswell from First Baptist Dallas, when Dr. Criswell preached on, on Caleb, he called him Mr. Greatheart. Mr. Greatheart. And that's a really, really good title for him. I'm going to give you right up front. Here is the key to this man's life. I know it's the key because six times the Bible tells us this about Caleb. Six times it is said he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. That was the secret of his life. He wholeheartedly followed the Lord. He was a mighty warrior for God. Now, let's begin by reading what is said about him. And I'm going to read a number of verses here because this sets the scene. Joshua chapter 14, 
Beginning in verse 6, we're just going to read down to verse 14 because that's the story for tonight. Verse 6. Now the people of Judah, that was his tribe, approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea. And you kind of underline that. Kadesh Barnea. Ding, ding, ding. We know that story. You know what the Lord said at Kadesh Barnea. Caleb said to you, Joshua, and to me. I, he says, was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea up north to explore the land. And I brought him back a report. And my version says, it's interesting translation, according to my convictions, according to my faith, I brought back a report according to what I actually saw. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the people's hearts melt in fear. I, however, and underline this, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So, verse 9, on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked, meaning the land he explored, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. There it is again. Verse 10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive. And look at this. 45 years. He was 40 years old at Kadesh Barnea. Gone through the whole thing of wandering in the wilderness and all the ups and downs and difficulty of that period. Gone through crossing the Jordan River and the period of the conquest. Today, 45 years I'm kept alive since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So, here I am today. I love this. 85 years old. Verse 11. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. I don't know how many of you who are 85 would make that same claim about yourself tonight. You know, I'd be slow to say anything about myself compared to when I was younger. But clearly, clearly Caleb is not, he's not uh, making this up. He's ready to go. Now, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that, that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites, the Anakites were giants in the land who were the descendants of the Nephilim. And the Nephilim go back to the period just before the flood. There were, there were these strange, bizarre giants in the land in the days just before, uh, you know, in the days when they went up and scouted out, saw the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron. Ding, 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 ding. Hebron, that's interesting. Hebron. What's in Hebron? We'll get to that. He gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since. Because, and he says it again, he followed the Lord God of Israel wholeheartedly. Getting the picture, we're just being told over and over again. And it's also back in the book of Numbers that he followed God with all his heart. Now, the story of Kadesh Barnea, we can just summarize because we know this story. One of the best known stories in all the Bible. Came to Kadesh Barnea, an oasis way down in the south. And Moses said, go up and spy out the land. 
12 men, one from each tribe. Joshua was chosen, Caleb was chosen, and 10 other losers, I mean 10 other men were chosen. <laughs> Sent out the 12 spies. For 40 days they went up north. And they brought back and said, okay guys, we got your good news, we got your bad news. The good news is, this land is paradise. It is flowing with milk and honey. They brought back, they brought back the grapes, the pomegranates. They said, you won't believe how beautiful this land is. If we could ever move in there, we'd have it made. This is, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the good news. What's the bad news? Well, number one, there are walled cities. Walled cities, they're so high, they reach up to the sky. And there are giants in the land. How big are those giants? Those giants are so big, we look like grasshoppers to them. And so 10 of the men said, we can't go. If we go up there, we'll be slaughtered. Just a note, folks, in, uh, in religion, as in many other areas, the majority is not always right. Very often, the majority is often wrong. In this case, they were deadly wrong. Only Joshua and Caleb believed God. I'm going to give you quotes up there. This is from Numbers 14.9. This is while the issue was still hanging in the balance. The ten had given their report and the people's hearts were melting with fear. But they hadn't finally decided what they were going to do. And this was the appeal of Caleb. He said, do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land. And look at that phrase in red. Because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You see that phrase, do not... Uh, we will devour them. Literally, in Hebrew, they are like bread to us. We're going to eat them up. That's what he's saying. They are nothing. That we're going to go in there and eat them up. Because God is with us. And just make a note. That's how a man of God talks. When he is standing on the promises of God. You see, it's not that Caleb didn't see the problems. Caleb saw the problems, but he saw the promises of God even bigger. Caleb had a big God. He understood that one man plus God equals a majority. And so he said, strap it on boys, pick up your swords, grab your helmets, let's go take the land. But unfortunately that day, the majority ruled, and you know the story, as a result of their unbelief. God said, number one, you are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the entire unbelieving generation dies. And the only two people who will survive out of this unbelieving generation are the two men who believe God, Joshua and Caleb. So now, so now, fast forward 40 Five years. The desert is littered with the bleached bones of the unbelieving generation. Moses is dead. Joshua has led the new generation across the Jordan River. Jericho falls. Then Ai. Then the cities to the south and the cities to the north. Seven years have passed. It's time to divide the land and settle it. Here comes Caleb. He is now 85 years old. And uh, 
He talks like a man who's 45. And as I was preparing this message, I just thought to myself, I watch those, I watch those commercials on TV. Maybe I'm watching them more now. I don't know. Those commercials with the miracle supplements, you know? Have you seen those commercials with the miracle supplements that can make you a man all over again? I see Frank Thomas, the great baseball player for the Chicago White Sox, and he's selling that Nugenic stuff. You know, you can get that. Man, I was just going down. I was so weak. I was so tired. I didn't have any strength. And I started taking Nugenics, and I'm like a new man again. Then I watched Tim Tebow. We all love Tim Tebow. What a great man. But he's got his own uh, exercise, exercise called Tebow Flex. And I love that commercial. There's this young couple, young wife and young husband, and they're in the restaurant. And the wife is trying to say to her husband, you know, you need to work out a little bit and kind of build yourself up. And guess who's sitting right behind him? It's the man himself, just by chance, it's Tim Tebow. And Tim Tebow says, don't worry about it, buddy. All you got to do is just follow my plan, Tebow Flex. And here's this guy, he's just looking kind of mousy. And here's Tim Tebow. Well, he just looks like Tim Tebow. And I love it because the wife looks at him and says to her husband, you need to do whatever he's doing, okay? You know, okay, I love that commercial. That's fantastic. It's almost like... This guy's 85, but he's been working on Tebow Flex, or he's been taking those supplements, or something. He's not acting like a normal person at 85. I mean, when a lot of people are slowing down, here's a man who is speeding up. Once a soldier, always a soldier. He hasn't retired. He's ready to fight. So I just want to ask a question and just answer it, and we'll be done. Why did God bless Caleb? Well, number one, he believed God when others wouldn't. We all know peer pressure can be good or bad. It's never easy to go against the crowd, especially when your friends are going the other direction. If the people you know say it can't be done, it's really hard to stand up and say, you're wrong. And that day at Kadesh Barnea, it was Joshua and Caleb against the whole nation. Listen to me. Don't blame the people. The ten spies were persuasive. They were terrified. And you know fear is contagious, right? Just like courage is contagious, fear is contagious. It spreads so quickly from those ten. If enough people repeat a lie, pretty soon the lie begins to sound like the truth. That's how you get fake news. It sounded reasonable. Those 10 men said, we can't do it. I mean, you don't want to walk into an ambush. But God said, I will go with you. And if God goes with you, which is what Caleb was saying, if God goes with you, how can you lose? That's really the whole point, isn't it? So number one, he believed God when others wouldn't. Here's number two. He never let go of God's promise. I like this. I like this. He's 40 years old. And God says through Moses, look, look, you believe me. So tell you what, when you finally get in the land, I'm going to give you everywhere you went, I'm going to give it to you. Because you believe me, I'm going to give it to you. The only problem is he, he didn't realize he's going to have to wait 45 years for the promise to be fulfilled. What do you think it was like 
Uh, listen, that, that bunch of Jews in the wilderness complain, 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 gripe, 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 yep, 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 always unhappy about this, that, and the other, going here, going there, tired of manna, tired of quail, unhappy with this, unhappy with that. I wish we were back in Egypt. I'm sick of this manna and quail. Why are we going in circles? Moses stinks as a leader. If I were in charge, I could get this thing, I could get this thing going. Read the book of Numbers. It's all there. I mean, Moses and Joshua and Caleb had to deal with these people day in and day out, a week in and week out, a month in and a month, a year in and year in, going in circles. They had to wait till the whole generation died. They complained and moaned and griped the whole 40 years. That gets old fast. And now Caleb's an old man. And he's got to go through seven years of fighting. And all of a sudden, at the age of 85, he steps back on the stage. He's an old man now by our standards. He's way past retirement age. But someone forgot to tell him he was too old. So he said, I want that mountain. Literally, it's give me the hill country. Give me the hill. Now, don't give me the plains. That's easy. I want the hill country. Give me the place where it's really hard. And by the way, where did he go? We're told in the book of Numbers where, where he actually went. He went to the region of... Of Hebron. Now, I told you earlier, ding, ding, ding. Hebron, Hebron, what was going on? The, the, the city of Hebron is still there in the land, in the Holy Land today. It's still there. What happened in Hebron? Well, you know, the book of Hebrews points out that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they lived in tents as sojourners in the land of promise. God promised to give Abraham the land, but he lived and died. He never saw the full promise. Isaac lived and died. Never saw the full promise. Jacob lived and died. Never saw. I mean, they died as sojourners in the land of promise. And before Abraham died, he bought a piece of property. He bought the cave of Machpelah, which is in the city of Hebron. When Abraham died, this is how much of the Holy Land he owned. He owned this little tiny dot. Everything else, everything else was in pagan hands. And over the generations, Abraham was buried there. Sarah was buried there. Isaac was buried there. Rebecca was buried there. Jacob was buried there. Leah was buried there. And you know what I think Caleb thought? I think Caleb thought it is not right that this holy ground should be in the hand of the pagans. I'm going to go up there and take back what belongs to God Almighty. Why did he say that? He never forgot God's promise. He never let go of it. That's why he said, I want that mountain. It belongs to me. At an age when most men are slowing down, Caleb was just getting started. He had to pedal to the metal and he wasn't about to ease up. My friend Jack Graham, Pastor Prestonwood Baptist Church down in Dallas, my friend Jack Graham says, if you're not dead, you're not done. God still has work for you to do. That's good. If you're not dead, you're not done. God still has work for you to do. Here's the third reason God blessed Caleb. Because, and remember I've emphasized this, he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Six times it's said that he wholeheartedly followed God. 
followed him completely, followed in his steps completely. Now, when Dr. Boyce, Dr. Boyce wrote about this part of the story, he made an interesting observation. Dr. Boyce said, great men tend to be simple men. Ooh, that's good. Great men tend to be simple men. They tend to be men who are captured by one idea. Men who have one vision. Men who have one dream. They have one thing that fills their mind. And he said, weak men are not like that. They're here and they're there. They want to do this. They want to do that. They start this. They stop it. They come over here. They do this. They do that. He said weak men are scattered and they're divided in a dozen different directions. They think they should do this, but then they're scared, so they start over here. He said weak men are divided. Great men are simple men. They are men of one great passion. Caleb, he said, and I think he's right, was a simple man. He was simple at the core. When everyone else was pulled seven different directions, he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. He believed God when it was easy, and he believed him when it was hard. He did not consult the daily tracking pole to make his decisions. He's the exact opposite of the double-minded man of James 1 who is unstable in all his ways. Listen, if God said, take the land, Caleb said, grab your sword, boys. It's time to go to war. He didn't let anything bother him or distract him from doing God's will. So, question. What really happened back there at Kadesh Barnea? Ten of those men said, look how big those giants are compared to us. Caleb said, look how small they are compared to God. The coward said, they're too big for us to fight. Caleb said, they're too big to miss. We need more of that spirit today. We got too many in the pink lemonade crowd who are just cowed and worried and afraid about everything. Listen, if we are ever going to defeat the giants, someone is going to have to say, we have the promise of God. Let's get ready to rumble. So I have been thinking a lot about this. I have been pondering this, and, and uh, ever since, ever since my little biking incident on January the 2nd, I've had nothing but time on my hand, hours in the day and hours at night, to think about where I am at li in life. You know, I was 40 years old when I first came here. I, uh, I'm 66 now. You can say whatever else you want to say about me, but uh, I'm not a young man anymore. I am past the standard retirement age. I'm on Social Security. I'm on Medicare. The days of being a young man with a young wife and young kids, those days are gone forever. And I have concluded that I am coming down the home stretch of life. You see that picture up there? That's the booklet that I wrote in January and February. If you're on our mailing list, you got this in the mail from us just in the last week. I would have brought this with me, but it hadn't even arrived from the printer by the time we left to come down here. It's the most recent booklet that we have written. And by the way, you see that handsome looking guy? That's clearly not me because I don't wear a hat, okay? <laughs> Plus, he's much better looking and he's got a beard. That's not me at all. Uh, let me tell you a little story behind this. 
how God got my attention. It started a couple of years ago when, uh, when I, I, was, I was up at Word of Life Bible Institute in New York. I tend to go up there uh, in February in the dead of winter. They typically pick the coldest, snowiest week of the year to have me go up there and teach the book of Galatians. And I've been doing that for about 16 or 17 years now. A couple of years ago, I went up there, flew up on Monday, and it was cold, as it always is. And there was like a ton of snow up there. And I got in on Monday night and got up on Tuesday morning, and um, I taught for three hours. And the way they do it up in New York is when you finish your first day of teaching, they take you out for lunch with a couple of the professors and whoever else is around. So I went out for lunch with a couple of professors and my good friend, Mike Calhoun. Many of you know Mike and Betsy Calhoun served for many, many decades with uh, Word of Life. Well, Mike and Betsy and Marlene and I all go back to Tennessee Temple days in Chattanooga. We've known each other. I've known Mike for over 45 years. He's an oh, about the time I got to know Tom and Faye Phillips, got to know Mike and Betsy. And uh, two years ago, Mike was up there. And um, that day at lunch, uh, we went out to eat. And I don't remember much about the discussion. I must have said something in light of what I'm about to say. I must have said a bunch of things. But all I remember was I was cold. I was tired. And I wasn't feeling particularly good, okay? It's a little bit, you know, it's kind of worn out from everything. And had that lunch and went home and went to, took a nap. Got up the next day, which would be Wednesday, and taught my class. And went into the Ballback Student Center up there at the BI. And I was going to have lunch. And I, was, I went to the aisle. And who do you know? I pass an aisle, but Mike Calhoun. He was taking his tray one way. I was taking my tray the other way. And I said, hi, Mike. And Mike looked at me, and he said, I got something I want to say to you. Well, well, that was an interesting greeting. I got something I want to say to you. But Mike's a friend. We've been friends for 45 years. He can say anything he wants to me. So I said, okay. And we're standing in the aisle. The students are going back and forth this way. And he said, Pritchard. That's what he said, Pritchard. I don't want to hear you talking anymore like you talked yesterday. I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue of what he meant. We're standing there. I don't want to hear you talking like you talked yesterday. And I guess, in retrospect, I must have complained about this or that or the other. I told you it was cold and I was tired. I wasn't feeling too good. And I must have been kvetching, you know, complaining, grousing, just a little bit too much for Mike. I guess I just kept on about it. I don't even remember it, right? It's how natural it comes to me. And so I guess it was just a little bit too much. And he said to me, now listen to me, Ray. I don't want to hear you talking like that anymore. And I said, uh, okay. And we're standing there, and students are just still going by us this way and that way. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. A friend of mine told me, and he said it was a pastor, very successful pastor in his 80s or in his 70s. And he said this very successful pastor had talked to him recently. And the pastor had asked him a question. And he said, Ray, I'm going to ask you this question. Okay, what is it? When are football games won? 
I didn't know this was going to be a quiz. What do you mean winter football games won? I didn't understand. And Mike went on to say, my pastor friend told me, every football game that matters is always won, always, in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. That's right. Isn't it true? How many games are won or lost coming down the last five minutes of the fourth quarter? Most games are decided right then. And the man said, and Mike said to me, he said, you know, you can't win the game in the first quarter, but you can lose it. You can't win the game in the second quarter, but you can lose it. You can't win the game in the third quarter, but you can lose it. And that's kind of funny because this was happening just after the Atlanta Falcons had blown that enormous lead to the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl when they had the game won in the third quarter and then ended up losing it, you know, down there in the last few seconds. And then Mike Calhoun, we're still standing there. Their kid's coming by with their trays, and he's just lecturing me in the aisle. And Mike said to me, Ray, listen, we're not young anymore. He's older than I am. We're not young anymore. He said, you and me are in the last five minutes of the game. But the thing is, we don't know if we got five minutes left or three minutes left or if we're at the two-minute warning. Or we don't know if there's only 30 seconds left in the game. All we know is we are a lot closer to the end than we are to the beginning. And he said, Ray, you know what football coaches say. They say to their players all the time, you got to play through the whistle. You know what that means? You don't stop. You play through the whistle. You know what they say uh, in track? And when you're running track, you got to run through the tape. And he said, Ray, that's what you and I have got to do. We have got to play hard and fast. Then he said, Ray... You don't have any time to complain. I don't have any time to complain. We don't have any time to complain. We got to get in the game and we got to play hard and fast because we know our time is short. We got to play through the whistle. We got to run through the tape. And if we do our part, soon enough the game will end and the Lord will tell us the final score. All of that while we are still standing in the, in, in the aisle with the students going back and forth. I have tried to tell Mike, I don't think he understands how important that little converse. You know, you have those moments when somebody says something and the light goes on. That was a, that the light went on up above my head. Look. I'm 66. My father died when he was 57. My uncle died when he was 43. My grandfather died about the age I am now. Pritchard, I've told you this before. Pritchard men don't live a long time. On my father's side, just going back a couple of generations. I'm 66. In June, I will celebrate my 50-year anniversary of becoming a Christian. Marlene and I have been married 44 years in August, 45. Our kids are all grown up now. They're all in their mid-30s. And to my complete consternation, this year our oldest son will turn 40. This doesn't seem right to me. You know what? As I sit here tonight, bum ankle and all, I don't feel old. 
but I can't deny the reality of the calendar. It doesn't matter how I feel. Uh, I can't deny the reality that I don't have the energy that I had 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You know how I feel about the energy thing? I feel like when I was 30 years old, my life was like a balloon this big. I had so much energy, I could go day and night, day and night for days and nights on end. And when I was done, I had as much energy at the end as I did at the beginning. And maybe 20 years ago, the balloon felt like it was this big, the balloon of energy. And 10 years ago, the balloon of energy felt like it was like this. And you know what? The balloon of energy in my life feels like it's about like this. And it feels like when I do something like come here and speak, the air goes out quickly. And it's a lot harder now to get the air. And I feel like I never quite get all the air back in. You know what? You know what Mike Calhoun has helped me do? He's helped me to ponder the brevity of my own life. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain what? A heart of wisdom. If my life is a race, if my life is a race going around the track, I came around the first turn decades ago. I was in the backstretch of life 20 years ago. When you're 66, you can't kid yourself most of the hay is already in the barn. I've come around the final turn. I'm coming down the home stretch of life. Here's the deal. I just can't see the finish line. What I see in front of me is mist and fog. But I know that somewhere up in front of me is the finish line of life. My whole life hangs in the balance. I have not yet finished the race or won the prize. As I come down the home stretch, I'm not sure where the finish line is, except that it's somewhere in front of me. And so what is my job? It's to keep running hard until I cross the finish line. We need the Caleb spirit today. And the older we get, the more we need it. So, I ran across this poem that sums it up very well. He stood before Joshua with flashing eyes. Give me this mountain before I die. But Caleb, you're old and the mountain is high. Choose a peaceful spot on this plain to die. The, the people who live on the mountain are strong. The battle you fight will be bloody and long. His eyes never wavered as he spoke without fear. I've been promised this mountain for 45 years. And as for the people being mighty and tall, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. For it's not my strength on which I'm counting, for the Lord is going to give me that mountain. So let's quit talking while it's still light, for the Lord and I have a battle to fight. My friends, never release God's promise. Never retire from serving God. Never retreat from the enemy. Let's keep going for Jesus with all the strength God gives us. Let me put it up here again. My friend Jack Graham said, if you're not dead, you're not done. God still has work for you to do. So then, let's laugh a lot. Let's encourage each other. Let's keep serving Jesus. Let's play through the whistle. Let's run through the tape. May God 
Fill us with the Caleb spirit today. Lord, that is our prayer. I thank you for these men and women who have faithfully served Jesus Christ for decades. Some of them 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. And I thank you. I thank you for that record of faithfulness. And I pray you would, Lord, send some of that Caleb spirit right down here to Word of Life, Florida. Thank you, Lord. Give us the spirit to run through the tape and play through the whistle and serve you wholeheartedly until the day you call us home. Help us to live like that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.